Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pathological Podcast. I am here with my sister Kathy. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. <laughs> <laughs> and her friend Kayla. Hi, everyone. Today we are covering the disappearance of Alyssa Turney, which um, probably at the time of this podcast, you most of the listeners, I would assume, would know that the major update that's happened actually happened this past week, but we won't touch on that just yet. We're going to start from the very beginning, and then we'll kind of touch on that update, which is a great update towards the end. So let's get into her early life, the teenage, early life to the teenage years. Um, so Alyssa was three years old when her mother, Barbara Stram, met and married Michael Turney, who would become her stepfather. Turney was a former police sheriff and electrician. He had three boys from a previous marriage, while Barbara had Alyssa and a son named John from her previous relationships. Together, they had a daughter named Sarah. The family was described as like a modern-day Brady Bunch, and the word step was not allowed to be used at all when talking about the siblings, so no stepsister, stepbrother, that kind of thing. Uh, the children grew up knowing different stories about how their parents met, but Sarah said that her father described himself as the knight in shining armor who had rescued her mother, which if you've done any research at all about Michael Turney, you know that that's just the type of shit that he would say. <laughs> like, yeah. Michael had been a deputy for the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office in the 1970s. He was a baseball coach and a Boy Scout leader for his sons as they were growing up. But when he got laid off from his job in the electrical field after an injury in 1992, the super dad, quote unquote, persona went away. And three weeks later, Barbara died of cancer. So at this point, Alyssa would have been eight years old and Sarah would have been three. I've heard unconfirmed reports that Michael was not a supportive spouse while Barbara was undergoing her cancer treatments, that he would get jealous that she would get all this attention on her for having cancer and that he'd get angry that a lot of the normal day-to-day stuff was put on him. But again, I don't, I couldn't find for sure reports on that. So after she passed away, Michael became a single father and his older sons were quoted as saying everything changed when that happened. So at that point, his older sons from his previous marriage, I believe, were moved out of the house. And John, I believe, went to go live with his father. So it was just Alyssa and Sarah living with him. So now we're going to get into the relationship between Alyssa and Michael Turney. So it was well known that Michael and Alyssa had a pretty rocky and very unhealthy relationship at times. Michael was basically obsessive and possessive of Alyssa. Um, And he had convinced Sarah that Alyssa needed his attention more because she was troubled, she had lower mental capacity, and she needed guidance uh, in her life, according to him. At the time, Sarah believed that wholeheartedly because her dad was the complete opposite parent with her. By all accounts, Alyssa was a normal teenager. She got good grades, held down a job, but on occasion, she would would partake in rebellious activities like smoking and drinking. Michael had her under his watchful eye both at home with cameras hidden in vents around the home, as well as used in plain sight. But he also would watch her with cameras like while she was at work. Did you guys happen to see any of those videos at all? Yeah, I, I saw it. Uh, I follow Sarah Turney on TikTok. Actually, Kayla turned me on to her TikTok, and she shares some of the videos that he has taken of her, and then there's this one video that he has watching her. I think it was her first day of work, and she comes up to the car, and she's like, well, you can't be videoing me. Like, it's not okay. My boss doesn't like it, and he kind of, like, went off on Alyssa. Yeah, he was like, well, who's your boss? What did he say? 
she was like, oh, I don't know. He's in there. And then she kind of was like, you can't do that. It's against the rules. And he kind of was like, well, I can do what I want. <laughs> yeah. And then I saw another video. I don't know if it was a hotel pool or if it was just like a community swimming, swimming pool. But it kind of looked like she was signing get help in the video. And Sarah actually shared this video on her TikTok to see if anyone that knows sign language could understand what um, Alyssa was saying in the video because she kind of had her hands up like doing motions. And from what I've read, they were saying like she was saying get help, you know. Oh, that's creepy. I got goosebumps. I literally was just about to say the same thing. I that's scary. That's really scary. I, the only video that I've seen is the one with the, her working on her first day. I've never seen the one at the swimming pool. I'll have to look at that. There's one more that I saw, and it was actually when they were younger. They were camping. Her sister, Sarah, was recording, and you could hear Alyssa say something like, oh, don't listen to dad. He's a pervert or something yes. along those lines. And then he gets mad and tells Sarah to turn the camera off. But right as she's, like, doesn't he grab the camera, too, from her? And then that's when he yells, Alyssa is a moron, in, like, the stupidest fucking voice. Yeah. Yeah. He's taunting her. He he was definitely taunting her and trying to cover her voice up, in my opinion. He knew exactly what he was doing. And it's a shame that Alyssa's voice wasn't being heard at that moment. I don't think you would call your father a pervert as just a like a random insult. Like that seems like a very personal word, like a very specific word to have used to call your own, your, your own father that. So yeah, just, um, those videos are disturbing and you can find them on, um, Sarah's TikTok for sure. And then I know she also has them on her, uh, Voices for Justice blog, which will go into like all her stuff, um, at the end and how she's basically just been this amazing, awesome force for her sister. So let's get back to, Michael. So Michael also traced all of the calls that came in and out of the home. His level of of obsession with being able to see what Alyssa was doing at all times was more of an obsessed boyfriend than that of a watchful father. None of this surveillance would have uh, would become public until police started investigating Michael for Alyssa's disappearance over seven years later in 2008. Sarah Turney has done multiple interviews about what life was like for her growing up. From her perspective, her dad was a superhero. She recalls how he made time to play with her every day, how he would treat her to one-on-one time, allow her to have the freedom to be with her friends, and allow her to basically live a carefree childhood, which was in stark contrast of what Alyssa was allowed to do. Growing up with their father, Sarah believed that Alyssa was the curse of her own demise. It wasn't until she was an adult that she realized her father had basically brainwashed her. So let's go to the day of her disappearance, of Alyssa's disappearance. May 17, 2001 was Alyssa's last day as a junior in high school. Police learned that the day Alyssa went missing, she was not in school for the entire day. Michael had picked her up from the school near lunchtime, which was confirmed by her boyfriend, John, who said Alyssa had told him that she was leaving early, but that she would see him later that evening at an end-of-the-year party. Many of her friends also claimed that she told them she would see them later at the party as well. Michael's version of the story was that he picked her up to get lunch, and when they arrived at home, they got into a fight about house rules, which ended with her storming off into her room and him leaving to run errands. When the school day ended for Sarah, who was at a water park, which is the AZ thing to do. (laughs) Kayla, I don't know if you grew up in AZ, but... No. Water day. (laughs) Water day, yeah, because it's so fucking hot here. It's like, what do we do with these kids? I don't know. Let's get a bunch of water and throw it at them. (laughs) 
Yeah, when I moved out here, I was like, what is this? This is not normal. <laughs> no, it truly is not. <laughs> um, so she waited for her father to come pick her up, and he never did, like, after school had gotten out. Um, and I think this is important to remember because Michael treated Sarah like a prize pupil and completely doted on her. So it seemed unusual to me anyways that he wouldn't have been there to pick her up, like, right away, right when school got out. So I read that... Sarah ended up walking to a friend's house, and around four to five, Michael finally arrived and then told Sarah that Alyssa was missing. Yes, yes. So that's what I had heard, too. But the school day had gotten out early, and she was surprised that he wasn't. What I had read was that she was surprised that he never came to pick her up, so she walked to the friend's house there. Okay, okay. Yeah, so... Either way, he didn't come up, come to get her until between four and five. So if he picked Alyssa up near lunchtime, which, you know, lunch for school time is like usually between 11 and 12, that gives him at least four hours of time where he could have done anything with Alyssa. Right. Um, so in interviews, Sarah has mentioned that her father's behavior at the time when he picked her up was kind of erratic. He did explain that Alyssa was missing, and she said that he kind of just genuinely seemed concerned about Alyssa, but also someone who was like hyped up on adrenaline. Sarah used her father's phone to try to call Alyssa on the way home, but couldn't reach her. Um, back at the house, Michael had Sarah check Alyssa's bedroom. There she found the contents of Alyssa's backpack scattered on her bed, her cell phone on top of her dresser, and next to that, a note that read, Dad and Sarah, when you dropped me off at school today, I decided I really am going to California. Sarah, you said you really wanted me gone. Now you have it. Dad, I took $300 from you. That's why I saved my money. First thing, and we'll go into um, the details in just a bit, but she had plenty of money in her bank account. Why would she take random $300 from her dad? Right. Not only that, I think um, when they investigated the room, they actually found her wallet and her money in the room. They found her bag. They found everything of hers in her room. Nothing was touched. Yeah, so then why even put that in there? If, you were, if that was your plan to run away and you specifically took money for that, yeah, that, that to me was a huge red flag. And the fact that he probably had her write this at some point it might not have even been this day he might have had her write that note a different day and just used it is like a horrifying thought to think of or maybe it was like something in her diary that she was angry one day and she wrote it out and then he just tore it out of her diary to use it as the note to cover her disappearance I didn't even think about that and I think it could go both ways, either with Kathy's idea or the fact that, like you're saying, Janessa, he manipulated her into writing that. I read somewhere on the internet that he manipulated into her writing a statement that he never molested her. If you are innocent of something, why would you need somebody to even write that out so that... Yeah, yeah, just just odd. So Sarah and Alyssa, I mean... They were sisters. They it didn't seem like they were the closest of close, but Sarah says she remembers Alyssa, you know, at least taking care of her. So the fact that there's a jab at Sarah in there is odd to me. Yeah. But but if it's a diary entry and something that you think no one will ever read, I can totally see that because being a teenager and having a diary myself, I probably wrote shit in there that <laughs> it was not nice about my own family. So um rude. <laughs> Hey, I never said it was about you. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the note that was on there. And it wasn't surprising to Sarah at first that Alyssa would say she'd run away to California because they did have an aunt who lived there. And they were, there were talks of Sarah going 
uh, or Sarah, of Alyssa going uh, there to live with the aunt. So it almost seemed like like this could actually happen. That night, Michael, which let me remind you, he used to be a cop himself. He called the police to report Alyssa as a runaway. Police opened a missing persons file, but no one investigated it or followed it up because Michael claimed she was a runaway. And I think the, the way that he said it in the language that he used made them think that he knew where she was. He was just reporting her as, you know, runaway just for the system or whatever, which is again, really creepy weird. It's not normal. No, 100%. So a week after Alyssa disappeared, Michael told police he received a call from her early in the morning where she blamed him as the reason that she left. She told him she was in California and that she was never coming back. He even provided police with his phone records to prove the call. Um, But it could have just been a family member calling or there's a possibility I think that he might have driven there and called. What do you guys think? That seems like a lot of work to drive to California and then call. Like, is it more than just a coincidence that he was like, here's my phone record that proves she called me from California? See, I think a guilty conscience talks more um, than anything else, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, Any parent who is missing a child, the urgency is getting the child home safe. And when I read on this case, it's like Michael just wanted to provide evidence and not find Alyssa. Yes, that's a perfect way to say it. He wanted to cover himself more than finding the missing teen who was in danger or, you know, something could have happened to her. Exactly. It's just not normal. And all the steps that he's doing throughout this case, it just proves there's a guilty conscience. A hundred percent. And it's loud and it's so obvious and it just blows my mind that police aren't looking at it like that. I don't know. It's just, it's crazy. Like, I don't know. Yeah, unfortunately, as we see with a a lot of cases, just police having their thumbs up their butt somehow and not following protocol, which is just in cases like this, it proves it's an issue. So yeah, I think that's a perfect way to say that, that his death, he was definitely acting on a guilty conscience for sure. Like if you compare this to the Elizabeth Smart case where she Mm -hmm. was abducted out of her home in Utah, the parents were hysterical. I mean, it was on the news immediately. Uh, parents were putting posters up. I mean, Elizabeth's face was everywhere at that point. And when Alyssa ended up missing, nobody knew who she was because Michael failed to provide Alyssa, you know, like he, he failed to provide that. And especially with his type of personality where he felt he, he told everyone that he had to give her extra attention and watch over her more. Right he had to have known where she was or he would have been hysterical, especially if he made her sign this agreement that he didn't sexually assault her. And now she's wherever she, you know, if she truly ran away, now there's nothing stopping her from saying that. So I agree. He should have been flustered in trying to find her. Exactly. So during the years after her disappearance, Michael told family um, and those close to Alyssa that he thought something terrible had happened to her. Which again, if he truly thought that, he would have been putting way more of an effort in to get her face and her name and her story out there. He said he thought someone might have been following her or caused her harm. And since police were not doing anything, according to him, he had to search for her himself. Michael would even make several trips to California to search and pass out missing persons flyers. Which is so weird because I see in the note that she said she was going to California, but she left with no money. Her bank account was untouched. He knew all her stuff was in her 
in her room. So why would the hell would he think that she made it all the way to California with nothing and then go there to pass out missing flyers? Like, don't, don't you think you would start at your own house? (laughs) Right. Your own town. You would exactly. She's uh, yeah, exactly. In 2006, several years after Alyssa had disappeared, the police got a lead from a man named Thomas Heimer. Heimer was in a Florida prison serving time for the murder of a woman and claiming to have killed 21 more. Um, He sent police a letter confessing to Alyssa's murder. Police eventually realized after going out there and talking with him, though, that he didn't actually know any details about Alyssa. Uh, His story wasn't adding up, and so they dismissed him as a suspect in the case. The story about a murderer in Florida claiming to have killed a local missing girl, however, brought Alyssa's story back into, well, actually just into the um, local media. And friends who had not been interviewed by police when she went missing in 2001 reached out to them with some pretty disturbing allegations of the relationship between Alyssa and her father. So in a roundabout way, it's kind of good that this Heimer guy was making shit up because then it brought the story to the media and people were like, oh shit, no, this is not, we remember these details that nobody asked us about. Um, In the seven years since Alyssa had gone missing, she had not contacted a single one of her friends or anyone in her family, including the aunt she was supposed to be living with. The $1,800, as we mentioned, that was initially in her bank account was still there untouched. Her social security number was also never used, meaning that she never got a job or went to school. And it became clear to police that this was not a typical runaway case. Police also discovered Michael was a very litigious and paranoid man. They learned about how he traced phone calls, how there were cameras everywhere in and outside of the home, how he had picked up Alyssa before the school day had gotten out on the day she disappeared, a fact that he never told them. You would think if you found cameras set up hidden inside the house that you would be their number one suspect. Right. Like, that's just so creepy to think that he was watching not only Alyssa, but probably Sarah, too. He had some weird obsession over Alyssa, especially since, I guess, he wasn't, or she wasn't technically his. Exactly. His other marriage. Right. But that, that would have been a major red flag if they dismissed all the other ones. Well, and I think, too, just the way that he told them, I mean how many times has a parent called and been like, if like chill on the phone and been like, Hey, my kid ran away. You know, I think that speaks to the guilty conscious thing. Like he was just calling them and being like, Hey, she ran away, but he must not have at all sounded concerned or worried about her for them to not even follow up. And I feel like that should have been just general protocol. Like, Oh, your child ran away. Okay. We're going to come to your house. We're going to get all the details we can of the last day that you saw her, where she might be going, how she left a freaking note any of that information, but I feel like just the way he presented it and maybe knowing because he was a cop himself, how to word it or how to phrase it, they just completely yeah. brushed it off. And now we are, they're coming back to it and they're going, wait a minute, like this man records his phone calls. He not only has cameras on the outside of his residence, they're inside and they're hidden in vents so that the people living inside don't know where they are, only he does. Like huge red flags, right? It's disturbing. disturbing, yeah. When police asked for the videotapes of the day of Alyssa's disappearance, Michael told them he had reviewed them and that there was nothing to see. Uh, When they asked for the audio tapes of that day, he told them that unfortunately on that day the recorder had been turned off, so nothing was recorded. Now let me remind you that the only days missing for the video was that day. 
he had all the other days stored previously. They were either stored on tapes or he still had the recordings like on a computer. And same for the audio. It was only that day that recorder wasn't working. I just want to know like who the lead detective was in this case, because to me, if I'm walking upon this case where a young girl goes missing, the stepfather has cameras inside the house, outside the house, records her every movement. And then you come to tell me the one day where she ends up missing, you don't have anything. How is that not suspicious? And how did like anyone not turn their head and like the side eye and wonder, right? Hmm, you know, like it's just common sense. Not only that, like, why didn't no one get a warrant to seize his computer and the videos to see what was actually on them? Yeah, it wasn't until, um, so so at this point, police were noticing that things weren't adding up. I will say that. So they had probable cause to search the tourney home. Um, and that's when they went in and they found the 26 homemade pipe bombs that he had, yeah. the 90-page manifesto that he had written that claimed that Alyssa had run away, but he believed she was followed by two men from the electrical union he had worked for um, because during his, that time at the union, he was a whistleblower. So he believed that the men took revenge on him by murdering Alyssa. Now, do I really think he believed that? No, I think that's BS. I think he planted mm-hmm. that there for them to find. Police also recovered tons of paperwork and hundreds of hours of audio and videotapes, again, just with that one missing day, but they were unable to find anything from the day that Alyssa went missing. So The letters that were found were ones that Alyssa claimed to have been not molested by Michael and that they were contracts that were signed, which again is just a really odd thing to have someone do. Like, I didn't do this. Now you have to sign here. Friends, her boyfriend, and even a teacher later confirmed about hearing um, about these allegations that Michael could have been sexually abusing her. They also found bondage porn and an actual snuff film, which do you guys know what a snuff film is? I don't. Not really. So a snuff film was something that I don't even know the exact date, but it was it was a long time ago where it would show like an actual woman getting murdered, getting assaulted, like it was real, but it was like they would film it in a way that it would look like a movie, but it was real life happening. So they found a film um, in which a woman got kidnapped, assaulted, and then murdered. And that was on his computer? Yeah, he had that in addition to the bondage porn as well. So just a real fucking class act with this asshole. Not only that, but he he's pretty much a domestic terrorist, too, with having homemade bombs yeah. inside his house. Yes. And not only that, he also had a bunch of guns and silencers for yes. the guns. And he only got 10 years for domestic terrorism. For the bomb shit, yep. On a side note to all of this, like, listening about this, I mean, if I was in Sarah's shoes and, like, hearing about this, God forbid, I would never want to ever hear this come from like my dad but I would be disgusted and I would feel like my world flipped 360 like right that I I can't imagine on her podcast she kind of on her first episode she has a call with her dad and basically she kind of demonstrates that because she was like oh I was like your number one person like I always defended you she defended him against her other siblings Her other siblings basically turned their back on her. Mm -hmm. So it was only her and her dad. And then once she started finding out more details of the case, you know, that's when she was like, oh, my God, you know, he's not the person that I thought he was. And there is multiple times in the video or in the call that she would bring up oh, like, oh, you didn't like Alyssa. You called her stupid. You know, you never wanted her around. 
um, you know, why would you do this? And he kind of like disregards the fact that she said that, you know, he murdered her. He would just ignore that and be like, oh, like, why don't you love me, basically? Ugh. See, the way that I look at this case, and I don't know if you guys look at it the same way, um, when Alyssa's mom was dying of cancer, like you said, Janessa, he started to feel a lot of hate and kind of remorse of having mm-hmm. to step up and be a single parent. Do you guys kind of think he maybe have taken like the the anger and frustrations out on Alyssa or maybe, you know? Like I can see that because Alyssa, like I said, was technically not his children. It was right. She was a child from his wife's previous marriage. So I could see why he treated Sarah better just because that was his own flesh and blood compared mm-hmm. to Alyssa. Right. You know, he probably felt resentment and probably a reminder of her as well. That's what I think. That's what I, I think that he, I think he obviously had these issues, um, what, whether they're anger issues, whether they're psychological, mental issues, whatever. Um, he had those prior to getting married to Barbara. And I feel like when Barbara died and he was forced to take care of these two children then by himself, he, of course, treated Sarah differently because he had, you know, like you said, Kathy, that was his DNA. That was his flesh and blood. But Alyssa was not. And there's probably even a small chance that he really thought he was, quote unquote, helping her. You know, he might have thought that by doing all these things, maybe in some twisted, effed up way, he was helping her. But I think that she reminded him of Barbara and I think that he was resentful and angry that Barbara left him to do this job alone. <laughs>